Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. Turn to uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. We're doing a series in this book, a short series, uh, written by King Solomon. Uh, teaching us what he's learned. He's the wisest man who ever lived, as we say, uh, when asked, when, when God uh, promised to give him anything he wished. All he had to do was ask. He says, I'll, I pray for wisdom. And God gave him wisdom. Uh, and, uh, and he's learned a few things in his life. And what he's telling us in this book are the things he's learned. Uh, he's, going, he's going through the variety of experiences in life and saying, here's, here's something I've learned. And a good bit of what he's learned, it isn't, it's, it's kind of a slap in the face. It's kind of a, it hits you square in the face. It's like, uh, and stuff that we're pursuing. And I've, I've talked, I've, I've had conversations with a number of you um, over the time we've been in this series. And you've kind of, you, you know, um, some, some of you have this sort of, deer in the headlights look on your face when you tell me about it. You know, you mean, Drew, do you mean that we're not supposed to be that beauty over productivity? What? Some of these things hit you. You mean pursuing that kind of thing is a meaningless experience? You mean it's chasing after the wind? Yeah, and that's what, that's the hit, the, the square, the, the sledgehammer to the face, the slap in the face is kind of what the writer, kind of what, what, uh, what Solomon wants us to get. That life under the sun, and, and that's the, a lot of the phrase is that, that we use here, is that that's the distinction he's making. Life under the sun. If we live our lives, if we live in the context of this culture, if we live in the context of life uh, in the horizontal strata, if we live in a, if we live in a capacity just operating as culture and the world as we see it and have it in the tangible sort of physicality, the horizontal plane, it will be meaningless and it will only lead to the worst, darkest end of path. And what the writer is saying, what, what Solomon is telling us is there's another way to live. There's another way to live. Not under, and I, I forgive me for this, I, I don't like cheesy little phrases like this, but I'm going to use it anyway. Not life under the sun, S-U-N, but life under the sun, S-O-N. Now, forgive me for that. Don't ever tell anyone I said that. But it does illustrate the point. It does illustrate how he wants us. He wants that the, the writer, the Solomon, is trying to say there's a, there's a way, there's a perspective. You know, we don't, we don't respond to circumstances, events, and, and, uh, and um, we don't respond to circumstances and events that produce our responses and our emotions, we don't respond directly to them. There's always something in the middle. There's, there's a filter. There's a, there's a black box that events and circumstances funnel through before they, before they produce reactions, responses, and activities or decisions. Is that a lot of times we think, well, you made me mad because you didn't pick up the laundry. And so we're attaching anger to laundry not being picked up. 
Those two things are not attached. There's another, there's another, there's another black box. There's another filter in between. It's called perspective or, 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 the, or the filter or our paradigm. Everything in life passes through a paradigm. And if we don't have the right paradigm, it will lead to meaninglessness. And what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, there's another paradigm. The only paradigm that's going to help you live Holy, healthfully, dynamically, with love and grace and freedom. So let's look, if we will. Chapter 4, we're going to start the next section here. Chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Follow along, and I'll read it aloud. Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. And better than both is he who has not yet been, who has not seen evil that is done under the sun. And I saw that all the labor and all the achievements spring from man's envy of his neighbor, this, too, is meaningless and a chasing after the wind. The fool folds his hands and ruins himself. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This, too, is meaningless and miserable business. Two are better than one because they have good return for their work. If one fail, falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us your wisdom today, even through the words of your servant Solomon. Father, I pray that it would penetrate past the, uh, the images, the ideas, the paradigms that we already possess, ways that we come at life from a, from a faulty perspective. Lord, teach us... Uh, the futility of living under the sun that we might, uh, that we might see and respond and, and reach out to you to find what true life is. Do this for your namesake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A bunch of years ago, and every once in a while I'll run, you know, I'll run into this commercial. Years ago it was from, a, it was from the Life Alert Company. Um, it was a, it, Life Alert was this little uh, thing you put around your neck and you push the button, you know, and, the, and it was this, it was this uh, I guess it was great advertising because it's still in my head. And st I still remember the company's name and I still know what they were all about. And it was, it was an older woman. And I, and I have to be careful as I say that because she might have been younger than me at this stage. But I remember she, she, the, the commercial had her in a wheelchair, or not a wheelchair, but in a walker. And she had, she had fallen. And then the whole th she pushes the thing and the life alert butters come on. She says, I've fallen and I can't get up. And 
when I, I couldn't help but read, I couldn't help remember that as I'm reading this passage this week, because it talks about two are better than one, that when one falls down, the other can get him up. And I'm going, you know, but pity the, pity the person who doesn't have anybody when you fall down. And that's the essence of the life alert, is that it's, it's reaching out, it's giving someone a resource, it's giving someone someone to help them when they have no one. The writer of Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon, has been uh, week by week, chapter by chapter, looking at a lot of areas of life in the fall, in this broken world we live, and, and in this broken, under-the-sun world, he says there's a lot of mess, there's a lot of meaninglessness, a meaningless about, the, the meaningless about how we try to find identity, a meaningless about how we go about doing business, a meaningless about achievement, a meaning, meaningless about all these... He's telling us that these roads we're on in order to find wholeness and health are all dead-end roads. He says, I've been down the end of this road. And I've come back from being down the dead end of the road. I'm going to come to tell you, don't, the bridge is out. You know, that's the, that's the nature of what the church does in some respects. Gospel churches, is we're, 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 the gospel churches are supposed to be, uh, and many are, uh, as it were, a flagman at the top of the cliff waving to the cars, to the, to the culture going by, going, the bridge is out. Zoom. But the church is not just a flagman at the top of the cliff. Church more often is a hospital at the bottom of the cliff. And unless a church, unless God's children are both, we are not adequately expressing the grace of God. We are not adequately expressing the, the ministry of the gospel. Careful, the bridge is out. Watch out, danger ahead. But then... The same people, the same church at the base, at the bottom of the cliff because everyone drives right over. Not just them, but you and I drive right over the cliff all the time. And God is at the base of it, the bottom, nursing us back to health, giving us grace, healing us, bringing us back to life, as it were, spiritually and otherwise, in, with, with his love and with his grace. The writer of... So, uh, the writer of uh, Ecclesiastes is doing that. He's waving his hands, going, the bridge is out. And, the way they, and he's gone through each, a lot of areas of life. And, and here in chapter 4, he draws upon one area of life. If you noticed, I don't know if you noticed that when we're reading the different paragraphs, he uses comparison. He's talking about there are certain things that are better than others. He uses that word a couple of times. So here's a couple of things that are better. There's three different things that are better than something else. But all... But the other thing that's, that's similar about all of these illustrations, all of this area that he's talking about, he's talking about the brokenness, the meaningless in human relationships. Do you notice that? He says, I've looked down the road, and one of the things that brings me to tears is how people oppress people. People oppress people. People are more, in, more interested in power and control than they are in people. How is it, and, and see, when, when I talk about oppression, when I talk, when I talk about uh, how we're always trying to find a way to make myself different, how can I, how different from other people, uh, that part of our brokenness, part of the way humans um, have fallen into into 
brokenness, into disrepair, into rebellion from God is that we, I no longer see you through a lens of kindness. I see you through a lens of oppression. And it's everywhere. From the very minute, from the very minute sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden, Adam, Adam and Eve are in the garden. Perfection, beauty, intimacy, fulfillment, freedom, all of these things exist to, to grand and glorious scales. They're walking with God in the, in the cool of the day. They don't have any sense of, they don't have any sense of vulnerability. They are vulnerable right down to the skin with God and with each other. No issues. And when, and when Adam first sees Eve, he is blown away by her. God says, let me, let me make, let me, let me bring you someone to help you. Let me bring, bring you someone to partner with you. Let me bring someone that matches you. You've just seen all of creation and none of it matches you. You've named it all. You're beginning to take dominion over it. Nothing matches you. Let me bring you something that matches you. Let me bring you someone that matches you. And he sees her and he is blown away. This, and he's writing poetry from the minute he starts. From the minute he sees her, it's Poetry. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Oh, my gosh. I love you so much. That was his first impression of her. Two humans. Two radically different humans. Could there have been anyone more different to Adam than Eve? And I know this because I'm married to one of them. She is radically different than I am. And I am radically different from her. And here Adam and Eve are in the garden and he is blown away by her. But in perfection, in, in, before anything got messed up, before the fall occurred, before tragedy developed, his first impression of her when he sees her is, I love you. I am blown away by you. I want, I want to, I, I want to, help you. I want you to help me. I want to connect with you. Yeah. Then tragedy occurs. Then the darkness entered and the brokenness occurred. And then what does this man who was writing poetry, what is his, ne what is his next first reaction? Oppression. God says, where are you? What happened? And he says, she did it. She did it. Wasn't me. She's the one. She's the, it's not, now it's no longer, I love you, I want you, you're beautiful, you're mine, we're each other's bone of my bone poetry. No, it's she did it. It's oppressive speech. It's pushing her out. It's it's division. It's now I'm you. And why is he saying this? Because he needed a position. He was, he was answering to God. He was trying to find some level of protection. He, and, and who does he throw under the bus? Her. Bone of his bone, but flesh of his flesh. So much for the poetry. And that spirit, that brokenness, 
has occurred, has, has occurred every day since and has multiplied exponentially in a culture over epic time to the point where we don't even know what it's like. We can't even fathom what it's like to have a first thought of love towards someone. And, the, and Solomon's saying, this is the way of the world. This is the way of the world under the sun. We can't see people clearly. All we see is jockeying for position. Where do I fit in this room, in this life, in this world? How, how can I? And, 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 and the, number one, the number one thing that, we, that, we're, that drives us is how can I, how can I, when I say jockeying for position in a room or in the world, when I'm, that, that, that our number one thought is that, is that sort of where do I fit? How can I be? And we're all trying to find the power position. We're all trying to find the power position. But here's the thing. In order to find the power position, you have to oppress everyone else. Emotionally, relationally, physically in some, in some respects. And this is the world we live in. And, 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 what the, and, the, and what Solomon is saying is, I've watched this happen all over humanity. We, don't, we can't treat each other well. We don't, we, love, you know, love is not the first thought. Poetry is not the first idea. We see difference more than we see sameness. I want to control you more than I want to love you for my own benefit. And if I can throw you under the bus to keep me from getting run over by the bus, well, I'm going to think about that. And more than likely, I'm going to do it. And we're all doing that. And sometimes at cultural levels, we're doing it, we're doing it in ethnicity. We're doing it in, in socioeconomic ways. We're doing it in, in oppressive uh, we're doing it in gender ways. We're doing, we're doing it across the board because we're all trying to jockey for some level of control and position to aggrandize myself. And that's really, that's really the, first, the first sin before I started, a, before Adam threw Eve under the bus. The first sin was he wanted, he wanted God's job. Because the, the, the temptation from Adam and Eve, the temptation from, from the serpent was you won't die if you eat this fruit. God's not. God's lying to you. He knows that if you eat this fruit, you'll be just like him. He, the temptation was that God was holding out on it, Adam and Eve. Holding out. There was something better than having a God. Ooh, you know what's better than having a God? Being a God. And is, that's the power position. That's the power position. And even when, and, and here, the subtlety of the language in Genesis 3, if you go back and look at it at the fall, the subtlety of the language is, he, is that Adam does it when God says, Adam, where are you? What's happened? God's coming. He's coming to rescue. He's coming. In, he knew something wasn't right. He knew he could sense it, and Adam's hiding, and Adam's, uh, Adam's not, where, not in the world. He's, 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 and, and he says, Adam, where are you? What's going on? What happened? And Adam says, what was the subtlety of the language? She did it. No, it wasn't directly that. What he said was literally, the woman you gave me. So who's he blaming? 
And and I have to believe that Adam was, he actually thought he was, I, I think he probably actually thought that he got, he pulled a fast one on God with that subtlety. I'll blame her, but I'll dig him. Because the first sin was him wanting to be God. He wanted the power position in the Garden of Eden. That was, and that's the nature of sin. I want to control. I want, I want to be in the power role. I want to manage my own life. I want to control my own world. I want the world to revolve and operate around me. And when it all breaks and falls to hell, God says, what happened? Where are you? Adam says, that woman you gave me. And he's oppressing her, and he's oppressing God. And we've lived in this world of oppression. And the writer says, this is the world we live in, and it's better for everyone who has just already died. That kind of world, I don't want any part of it. He says, that kind of world where we're just oppressing people left and right, we're just, we open our eyes and it's oppression. And, he, and, and the people who are being oppressed, the people who are being oppressed are alone in it. They have no one. No one cares about people being oppressed. No one cares. No one sees. When Jesus walked the earth, part of the, part of the, part of the, the language that the, that the gospel writers give us is they talk in very great detail and be careful as you, not, not be careful, but be curious when you read the scriptures, especially the gospels, about the tenses and the verbs that are used. That's very important. The language, the literature that's being written is very particularly done. And what, because because when you see the life of Jesus, when it's displaying the life of Jesus, it says, and he saw him, and he heard, and he felt, and he, and he felt someone touch him. What it's telling us is that Jesus is noticing things no one else notices. He sees people who are oppressed, who are hurt, who are broken. Nobody else does, because the writer of Solomon says, under the sun, in this world, no one cares about the oppressed. No one sees them. They operate in their oppression alone. They have no one. They have fallen and they cannot get up. No one cares. And Solomon says, I don't want to, I, I just as soon be dead than live in a world like that. As a matter of fact, between the two, having lived through it and dying better than living in it, that's not as good, but there's something better than, the, than, all two, than both of those. There's a third one that's better than that. It's better just not to have been born. Better not to have been born, not to have to live through this oppression, live through the ugliness of what we have become in our humanity. Always wanting power, always wanting control. This is the nature. This is why the gospel, this is why the grace of God is so radically different. Because here's the most powerful person in the universe. And he comes into our world. It says that he surrendered all of his power. He did not think equality with God was something to be grasped, Paul says. He did not think he surrendered everything. And the hymn writer says he surrendered everything but love. He surrendered all of his power, all of his position, all of his rightful glory. 
and condescended down the staircase. And all of his life, every aspect of Jesus' life was surrendering more and more power, more and more control, more and more and more. This was his solution to oppression. His solution to the brokenness of human against human, of people using and controlling people, his solution was to surrender power, to surrender it, to surrender, and he's, and he's surrendering it. Glory, position, all the way down until he, until he is the oppressed one, until he has nothing left. He's, and he went even further than that to where he has nothing left when he gives up himself and is crushed for our iniquities. Jesus' solution to our oppression is to take it into himself, to become the oppressed one, dying alone, having no one in the end, no one, and dying alone even to the point of Father, Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Without, he had spent, he had spent eternity in the past. He had spent eternity in intimate connection with his Father. And the most, and the most amazing, life-shattering moment was when his Father abandoned him and oppressed him for our sin. That's how much he loves you. That's how much the grace of God, that's how powerful the grace of God is. When we live under that, it changes our view of people. It changes our need for control. He says, the second thing that gets me is that what I've noticed is that the way we relate to people, achievement, he talks about achievement and labor. Everything we do springs, it all springs from envy. I want something you have. He says there's a, and what he's saying is, the, 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 the writer is saying, here's how relationships work. Here's how relationships work. Is basically, I don't really see you. It's not that, my, it's not that I'm trying to find ways for, for me to do something for you. It's no, I come at life, the, way, the lens through which I see life and that we, under the sun, the way that we see life in, in this world is, how can I use you for my benefit? How can I have what you have? How can I, what is it that you have that can advance my position and power? Envy. He says, and that's just... That's just chasing after the wind. Chasing. It's just a chasing after the wind. You're never going to get the thing that you think you want. And so you've injured people. You've used people. When people weren't meant to be used, they were meant to, they've always been meant to be loved. In perfection, in the time before everything broke, he, God, God, God brought Adam and Eve together brought people together. He created people as a way for him to love them and them to love him and then each of them to love each other. It was about 
caring and partnering with each other, managing together, working as a whole, enjoying that intimacy together, vertically and horizontally. That's the way it was meant, but not anymore, not under the sun, not since it all broke. Now it's, how can I use you to advance my power and position? How can I use you to get what I really want? I don't really want you. I really want what you have and what you get to have. How often do you find yourself, you know, whether it's wishing for the, you know, you're at a friend's house and they've got this great refrigerator. Wow. Love how it, it's got the video screen here and the water this and the, and the ice cubes and open. Oh, look at the shelving. It's so great. An organization. It's so much bigger than the one I have. Or how come they seem to be on vacation all the time? I just ran into a friend. I just met a new friend not too many months ago. He says to me the other day, he says, I said, how can you, it was in theater. I said, how can you do as much theater as you do? He's got, such, he's got a resume in theater longer than I can, I, I mean, almost a professional resume. And he said, and I said, how can you, do, how do you have the time? He says, well, I get 15 weeks vacation. And you know what my first thought was? You know what my first thought was? My first thought was, that's amazing for you. I'm so happy for you. That's not my first thought. That's not your first thought. That's not my first thought. I'm going, oh, man. My first thought was, oh, man, I wish I could have 15 weeks vacation and still make a great living. You know, I can have 15 weeks vacation. I don't have a living with it. I can't, I can't live on that. But that wasn't the first thing I said to him. My, the first thing I said to him was, oh, that's wonderful. First thing I thought was, Dum! that's envy. And chasing after 15 weeks vacation, chasing after a new refrigerator, chasing after vacations in, 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 in Aruba, um, uh, chasing after more money, chasing after, uh, yeah, Solomon says, you're using people in, to get all of those things. And you might get two handfuls of it. You might get your two handfuls. But it's going to be hard, and it's going to be a toil, and it's going to be relentless, and it's going to be frustrating, and it's going to be using people and you're going to push people more away than draw them in because now you got two handfuls you got no you got no way to love Jesus said when he when he walked the earth he says I've I've come to I've come to serve and not be served the whole essence of the gospel was this selfless one way love just constantly giving it away. Jesus, Jesus didn't, he didn't have a, he didn't have a, he didn't have a home. He didn't have a place to call his own. Didn't have a place to lay his head, the Bible says. It said, he had nothing because he's constantly giving it away. Constantly surrendering, constantly, he, you know, he, he had nothing and was always giving more to the people around him for their benefit. The writer says, you were better off we're better off one hand, trust me in this, he says, one handful and some peace. 
some peace of mind, some peace of spirit, some peace of heart, realizing that, that going that extra toil, going that extra oppression to get that extra handful, it really is not worth it. It's really, it's, that's the one, that's what's killing you. Take the peace and look at the life of Christ who all he did was surrender to those around him and give every aspect of himself away and it produced joy and satisfaction. Especially since he says, my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything, everything I have is yours. Every, God says in, in, in connection with the Son, in connection with the grace of God, when, my, when, when, I, when I realize, when I, when I come by faith to, a, to a, being a child of God, he says to me, he says to each of us, everything I have is yours. The cattle on a thousand hills. The beauty of every part of my world. Safety and security. A plan. A presence. Everything I have is yours. What are you chasing after? You're chasing after, you're chasing, each of us, we're chasing after, we're chasing after the things we already have. It's like the dog chasing its tail. What is that? I want that. I want that. I want that. You have it. That's the futility. Running in circles, chasing our own tail. When Jesus says, everything I have is yours. Ask of me. Ask of me and see if I will not open the storehouse of heaven. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing in your life that you cannot consume it, contain it, or enjoy it all. This is how much, this is how gracious he is. He's willing to give us grace. God, think about this for a minute. Think about what I mean when I say this. God is willing to give us so much grace that we waste it. Do you ever notice that? We don't even do that. We don't, we know, we're, we're always like, if someone, if someone wants something, if someone's in a condition and they're, they're like, you know, maybe they're poor, maybe they're struggling and with, some, with, some, with some suffering, maybe they're in, in a condition and, we're, and they come to the church or they come to you personally for some money and we're going, well, what are you going to do with that? How are you going to use that? When God's like, does, he never doles out grace like that. He says, everything I have is yours. If you need mercy, I'll give you new mercy every day. Not just day-old mercies. You know, yesterday's mercies are probably good enough for today, but no, new mercies. Day, n- brand new. Forgiveness every time you come. Press down, shaking together. Spilling over the imagery of Isaiah. He says the relationships weren't supposed to be about oppression. 
your connection with people wasn't supposed to be about oppressing them to try to find control. Our relationships with people weren't supposed to be about how can I use you for my benefit? How can I, how can I uh, turn you into a resource to advance my situation? How can I see, how can I get more as a result of having a connection with you? It's life, humanity being a great sort of networking party. He says, that's not the way it's supposed to be. He says, let me show the way it's supposed to be. Two are better than one. supposed to be about the connectivity of humanity. It's supposed to be, uh, I'm supposed to see you through the lens of how can I help you? How can I defend you? How can I comfort and warm you? That's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way he's leading us back to himself. That's the way that life outside the sun, that's the way, that's not life under the sun, that's life outside the sun is the way it's supposed to be beyond under the sun. Life in Christ is seeing how I can love you and help you and defend you and care for you. This is what the gospel is leading us to. That kind of love is not easily broken. And that sudden, and that sudden last minute, two are better than one, two can help, one, two is better than then, and three. What? Where did that come from? A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Yeah. It's that sudden third between two that has always been there. The same one that when Nebuchadnezzar threw three of them in the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, King, we can't bow down to you. That's not good. It's not good for you. It's not good for us. It's not who we are. And we believe God will save us from whatever furnace you throw us into. But even if he doesn't, we're still good. Because we'll get to be with him anyway. Three went in. And the king looks. And there are four of them there. And the fourth one looked like the son of the gods. Mm, he was. He came to rescue and that core, that, that togetherness, that love is not ever easily broken, he says. And nothing will break it. When, when you connect yourself to me and become through me, Jesus says, through me, an agent in this world of love, seeing the oppressed ones, helping, lifting up those who are downfallen, giving away rather than receiving. Through me, when that occurs, I will never leave you. Nothing can break my love for you. Nothing can break that connectivity to you and nothing will break my ability to use you in advancing that purpose in this world. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you for teaching us once again, for, for being the true nature of our humanity, what we were meant to be, surrendering power for the sake of others, for the sake of seeing those 
who are hurting around us and, and showing us what, what perfect humanity is to lift others up, to, to not use for my envious advancement, but to warm, to comfort. The only way we get there is through you, Father. Melt our, melt our hearts. Give us new hearts, new grid, new paradigm to see the world through the lens of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.